days 12, 13, and 14 of Think Well on It by Bishop Richard Challoner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twelfth day, on the last sentence of the good and bad. Consider first how this great trial shall be concluded by a final definitive sentence in favor of the just, and for the condemnation of the wicked. And first, the sovereign judge, turning himself towards his elect, with a most sweet and admirable countenance, shall invite them into the happy mansions of everlasting bliss. Come, ye blessed of my Father, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. Matthew 25 O happy invitation! Happy, thrice happy, they who shall be found worthy to hear that comfortable sentence. What unspeakable satisfaction, what torrents of joy and pleasure will the hearing of it give to those blessed creatures? I am filled with joy, says the royal prophet, at the happy tidings which I have heard. We are to enter into the house of the Lord. Psalm 121 But oh, what envy, what rage and malice will the retrobate feel at the hearing of this invitation, when they shall see several of their acquaintance called to take possession of that eternal kingdom, which they also might have so easily purchased, had they not their own folly and stupidity blindly exchanging it for the flames of hell. Consider secondly, and ponder, at leisure, upon this happy sentence. Come, says the judge, ye blessed of my father, etc. Come from the valley of tears, where for a little while you have been tried and afflicted by the appointment of my providence, to the kingdom of never-ending joy, where grief and sorrow will exist no more. Come from the place of thy banishment, where for a time thou hast sighed and groaned at a distance from thy heavenly country, to thy everlasting home, where thou shalt meet with all that thy heart can desire to complete thy happiness, where thou shalt be forever inebriated with the plenty of my house, and drink forever at the fountain of life. Arise, my beloved, the winter is now past, the floods and storms are over, arise and come, O universal and eternal blessings, how my poor soul contemns all other happiness in hopes of having a share one day in this blessed sentence. Consider thirdly how the great judge, after having invited the just to his glorious kingdom, turning himself towards the wicked on his left, with fire in his eyes and terror in his countenance, shall thunder out against them the dreadful sentence of their eternal doom with these words, Go from me, you accursed, into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Christian souls, weigh well every word of this dismal sentence. Go forever from me and from the joys of my kingdom. O terrible excommunication, O cruel divorce, O eternal banishment, who can express, who can conceive, what it is to be forever separated from God, our first beginning and last end, our great and sovereign good. Ah, wretches, who now make so little account of losing your God by mortal sin, what will you then think, when you shall be sentenced to this eternal banishment from him, doomed to seek him during eternity, and yet never to meet him in any of his attributes, except his avenging justice, the weight of which you must feel forever? But take notice whether you are to go. When you go from God, alas, into everlasting fire, there to lead an ever-dying life, 
there to endure a never-ending death, in the company of the devil and his angels, to whom you made yourselves slaves, and who shall now, without control, exercise their tyranny over you forever. Consider fourthly that dreadful and universal curse which this just but dismal sentence involves. Go from me, ye cursed, says the sovereign judge, as if he should say, Go, depart from me, but take my curse with you. I would have given you my blessing, but you would not have it. A curse you have chosen, and a curse shall be your everlasting inheritance. It shall stick close to you like a garment for all eternity. It shall enter into your very bowels, and search into the very marrow of your bones. A curse upon your eyes, never to see the least glimpse of comfortable light. A curse upon your ears, to be entertained for all eternity with the frightful shrieks and groans of the damned. A curse on your taste, to be forever embittered with the gall of dragons. A curse on your smell, to be always tormented with the noisome stench of the pit of hell. A curse on your feeling, and on all the members of your body, to burn and never consume in that fire which shall never be quenched. A curse upon your understanding, never to be illuminated with any ray of truth. A curse upon your memory, to be always revolving in bitterness upon a late but fruitless repentance, and the shortness and vanity of past pleasures. A curse upon your imagination, ever representing present and future miseries. A curse upon your will, obstinate and evil, torn in pieces, with a thousand violent and with all opposite desires, and unable to accomplish any of them. A curse in fine upon your whole soul, to be a hell to itself for all eternity. Good God, let it never be our misfortune to incur such dreadful curses. Consider fifthly how, after sentence has been given, the elect shall enter without delay into the possession of that everlasting kingdom, which God has prepared for those that serve him, where sorrow can have no place and joy no end. But as for the wicked, the earth shall immediately open and swallow them down in an instant, with the devils who seduce them, into the bottomless pit, when the gate shall be shut, never, no, never more to be opened. Behold the end of all worldly pride. Behold the end of all carnal pleasure. Oh, how horrid a thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10. Thirteenth day on hell. Consider first that as it has been said in holy writ, that neither eye has seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that serve him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 So we may truly say with regard to hell's torments that no mortal tongue can express nor human heart conceive them. The attitude according to divines is a perfect and never-ending state, comprising at once all that is good without any mixture of evil. If then damnation be the opposite to beatitude, it must needs be a complication, an everlasting deluge of all that is evil, without the least mixture of good, the least alloy of ease, the least glimpse of comfort, in a word, a total privation of happiness, and a chaos of misery. Consider, secondly, in a more particular manner, what damnation is, and how many and great are the miseries it involves. A dying life, or rather a living death, 
a darksome prison, a loathsome dungeon, a binding of hand and foot in eternal chains, a land of horror and misery, a land of fire and brimstone, a bottomless pit devouring flames, a serpent ever gnawing, a worm never dying, a body always burning and never consumed, a feeling always fresh for suffering, a thirst never extinguished, perpetual weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, no other company but devils and damned wretches, all hating and cursing each other, and hating and cursing God, spirits always sick and in agony, yet never meeting with death, which they so much desire, cast forth from the face of God into the land of oblivion, none to comfort, none to pity them, wounded in the heart with the sense of lost happiness, and oppressed with the feeling of present misery, and all these sufferings everlasting, without the least hope of end, intermission, or abatement. This is a sort of description, drawn for the most part from the unerring word of God, of the miseries which eternal damnation imports. This is that bitter cup of which all the sinners of the earth must drink. Psalm 74 Consider thirdly that God in all his attributes is infinite, as in his power, wisdom, goodness, etc. So in his avenging justice also, he is a God as much in hell as in heaven, so that by the greatness of his love, mercy, and patience here, we may measure the greatness of his future wrath and vengeance against the impenitent sinners hereafter. By his infinite goodness he has drawn them out of nothing. He has preserved them for a long time. He has even come down from his throne of glory and suffered himself to be nailed to a disgraceful cross for their eternal salvation. He has frequently delivered them from the dangers to which they were daily exposed, patiently borne with their insolence and repeated treasons, still graciously inviting them to repentance. Ah, how justly does his patience, so long abused, turn at length into fury. Mercy at last gives place to justice, and a thousand woes to those wretches that must forever feel the dreadful weight of the avenging hand of the living God. Consider fourthly, and in order to understand somewhat better what hell is, set before your eyes a poor sick man lying on his bed, burning with a pestilent fever, attended with an universal pain over all his body, his head, as it were, rent asunder, his eyes ready to fly out, his teeth raging, his sides pierced with dreadful stitches, his belly racked with a violent colic, his reins with the stone and gravel, all his limbs tormented with rheumatic pains, and all his joints with the gout, his heart even bursting with anguish, and he crying out for a drop of water to cool his tongue. Can anything be conceived more miserable? And yet, let me tell you, this is but an imperfect picture of what the damned must endure in hell for eternity, where these victims, immolated to the justice of God, shall be salted all over with fire, and endure in all the senses and members of their body, and in all the faculties of their souls, exquisite torments. Consider fifthly that the state of the poor sick man of whom we have just now been speaking, how deplorable soever it may seem, might still be capable of some alloy of ease or degree of comfort, an easy bed to lie on, a good friend to encourage or console him, 
a good conscience to support him, a will resigned to the will of God, and, in fine, a certain knowledge that his pains must shortly abate or put an end to his life. But the damned have nothing of all this. Their bed in hell is a lake or pit burning with fire and brimstone, to which they are fastened down with eternal chains. Their companions are merciless devils, or what will be to them worse than devils, the unhappy partners of their sins. Their conscience is ever gnawed with the worm that never dies. Their will is averse from God, and continually struggling in vain with his divine will. And what comes in to complete their damnation is the despair of ever meeting with an end or abatement of their torments. Good God, what would not a prudent man do to prevent the lying but for one night in torments in this life? And where, then, are our faith and reason, when we do so little for escaping the dreadful night of hell's merciless flames? Fourteenth Day On the Exterior Pains of Hell Consider first the description which holy Job gives us of hell, Job 10, when he calls it a darksome land, and covered with the obscurity of death, a country of misery and darkness, where no order but everlasting horror dwells. In this gloomy region no sun, moon, or stars appear, no comfortable rays of light, not even the least glimpse are ever seen. The very fire that burneth there, contrary to the natural property of that element, is black and darksome, and affords no light to the wretches it torments, except to be discovered to them such objects as may increase their misery. Christians, what would you think? Were you to be sentenced to pass the remainder of your days in some horrid dungeon or deep hole underground, where you could never see the light, would not death itself be preferable to such a punishment? And what is this when compared to that eternal night to which the damned are sentenced? The Egyptians were in a sad condition, when for three days the whole kingdom was covered with a dreadful darkness caused by such gross exhalations that they might even be felt by the hand. But this misery was soon over, and they were comforted by the return of light. Not so the damned in hell, whose night shall never have a morning, or ever expect the dawning of the day. Consider, secondly, that the horror of this eternal night shall be beyond measure aggravated by the dismal music, wherewith those poor wretches shall be forever entertained in this melancholy abode which shall be no other than the dreadful curses, blasphemies, and insulting voices of the tormentors, and the howlings, groanings, and shrieks of the tormented, etc., and that the other senses may also partake in their share of misery. The smell shall be forever regaled with the loathsome exhalations of those infernal dungeons, and the intolerable stench of half-putrefied carcasses, which are broiling there, the taste shall be oppressed with a most ravenous hunger and thirst, and the feeling with an insupportable fire. Consider thirdly, that of all the bodily torments which we can suffer in this world, there is none more terrible than to burn alive. But alas, there is no comparison between burning here and in hell. Our fires upon earth are but painted flames, if compared to the fire of hell. The fire of this world was made to serve us and be our comfort, but that of hell was created to be an instrument of the vengeance of God upon sinners. 
the fire of this world cannot subsist without being nourished by some combustible matter which it quickly consumes but the fire of hell enkindled by the breath of an angry god requires no other fuel than sin which feeds it without ever decaying or consuming o dreadful stain of sin which suffices to maintain an everlasting fire the fire of this world can only reach the body but the fire of hell reaches the soul itself and fills it with most exquisite torments ah sinners which of you all can endure eternal burning consider fourthly and in order to frame a just notion of hell's torments give ear to a most authentic vision related by saint teresa chapter thirty two of her life as i was one day says the saint in prayer on a sudden i found myself in hell i know not how i was carried thither only i understood that our lord was pleased that i should see the place which the devils had prepared for me there and which i had deserved by my sins what passed here with me lasted but a very short while yet if i should live many years i do not believe i should ever be able to forget it the entrance appeared to me to resemble that of an oven very low very narrow and very dark the ground seemed like mire exceedingly filthy stinking insupportable and full of a multitude of loathsome vermin at the end of it there was a certain hollow place as if it had been a kind of a little press in a wall into which i found myself thrust and close pent up now though all this which i have said was far more terrible in itself than i have described here yet it might pass for such a pleasure in comparison with that which i felt in this press this torment was so dreadful that no words can express the least part of it i felt my soul burning in so dismal a fire that i am not able to describe it i have experienced the most insupportable pains in the judgment of physicians which can be corporally endured in this world as well as by the shrinking up of all my sinews as by many other torments in several kinds but all these were nothing in comparison with what i suffered there joined to the horrid thought that this was to be without end or intermission for ever and even this itself is still little if compared to the agony the soul is in it seems to her that she is choked that she is stifled and her anguish and torture go to a degree of excess that cannot be expressed it is too little to say that it seems to her that she is butchered and rent to pieces because this would express some violence from without which tended to her destruction whereas here it is that she herself is her own executioner and tears herself in pieces now as to that interior fire and unspeakable despair which comes in to complete so many horrid torments i own i am not able to describe them i saw not who it was that tormented me but i perceived myself to burn and at the same time to be cut as it were and slashed in pieces in so frightful a place there was no room for the least hopes of comfort there was no such thing as even sitting or lying down i was thrust into a hole in the wall and those horrible walls close in upon the poor prisoners and press and stifle them there is nothing but thick darkness without any mixture of light and yet i know not how it is 
though there be no light there, yet one sees all that may be most mortifying to the sight. Although it be about six years since this happened, which I here relate, I am even now in writing of it so terrified that my blood chills in my veins, so that whatsoever evils or pains I now suffer, if I do not but call to my remembrance what I then endured, all that can be suffered here appears to me just nothing. So far the saint whose revelation deserves to be pondered at leisure, for if such terrible torments had been prepared for her, whose life from her cradle, a few worldly vanities, which for a short time she had followed, accepted, had been so innocent, what must sinners one day expect? Consider fifthly that there is no man on earth in his senses who would be willing, even for the empire of the world, to be broiled on a gridiron like a Lawrence, or roasted for a short half an hour by a slow fire, though he was sure to come off with his life. Nay, where is the man that would even venture to hold his finger in the flame of a candle for half a quarter of an hour, for any reward that this world can give? Where is there then the judgment of the far greater part of Christians, who pretend to believe a hell, yet live with so little apprehension and concern, for years together, in the guilt of mortal sin? in danger every moment of falling into this dreadful and everlasting fire, having no more than a hair's breadth, that is, the slender thread of an uncertain life between their souls and a miserable eternity. Good God, deliver us from this unfortunate blindness, from this desperate folly and madness. End of Days 12, 13, and 14